0: Everyone else
1: Okay Everyone okay.
2: else Last <laughs> <laughs> oh, two punnets are quite a pound
3: Receive
2: this bank, See this
1: 210
3: my man, the fleet. Oh spin a great and power. Fortunately I've got more more batteries in there. This is the one, isn't it? She told me buy the batteries, because I bought some more batteries today. And she said to me, you're going down the mule, aren't you? So I said, yeah of course I am. um, Because I was a Bowie fan when I met her, my wife, 40-odd years ago, you know. I said to her, I said, you ought to consider yourself very lucky. When Bowie divorced Angie, I was seriously thinking about getting rid of you. (laughs) That's how much of a fan I was. I thought, he's thinking that he's got to get rid of her. You're next. (laughs) But no, I never did do that. Right.
2: Drop my cell phone down below. Hate that just like.
3: Some people think it isn't possible that you can possibly love two people at once. I found myself in that very situation. I loved both Maureen and Sharon but I ended up hating myself for what I did to both of them. The grief and the upset that I caused them both. So in as much as uh, it's possible, sometimes it would have been better for me if it hadn't been possible. So that at least I would have had a one-way clear-cut course to travel. But when you're trying to travel two roads, it just doesn't work. You know, so yeah, I loved them both. When I met Maureen, when I was 19, I was obviously a big Bowie fan then, and Maureen fitted the bill. She looked a, a dead ringer for Angie Bowie, same hairstyle, same slim figure, and I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to get married to her? There was no down on one knee nonsense. It was just, I'd decided. And Maureen said, yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll do that. So anyway, we get married. So we did lead a very good high lifestyle initially. We'd go out to nightclubs. I, I would going and doing the Bowie thing. Like She was dressed up as Angie. And uh, we had a good life. And then, obviously, as, as time went by, we had the first son, then a second one, and then, of course, it became less and less easy for Maureen to, to come out with me to do all these different things. But I still carried on. I know that might sound unfair, but I did. I would still be going to clubs and not getting in until three in the morning and whatever, you know. There was a a club on uh, Wardour Street called Crackers. They used to hold a Bowie night. I would take bootlegs with me. And I would mime to these bootlegs on stage in Crackers. I'd finish work at six o'clock in a menswear store at Oxford Circus called Irvine Cellars. Me and a mate who was not dissimilar to me, used to like wearing the same outfits, hats, suits, you know. We'd start off in a pub, then we'd go to the marquee. And of course, consequently, you're meeting various people. I got to know the Sex Pistols because we used to, I used to go to a club called Louise. And when the Sex Pistols finished doing their gigs at the 100 Club, which made them famous, they would go there afterwards and i would be there dressed as the man who felt to earth because that was the current it was still quite a good look so they would come down this club and of course they're all levered up aren't they and like pins and this and that and they used to say oh look that's old wave and we're new wave but bowie had a slogan at that time there's old wave there's new wave and there's bowie so that's what I would fire back at them. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you can't outdo Bowie. Gradually down through the years, when I stopped working in the West End, I would still go to the disco pubs, mainly the ones down at Camberwell. There was two, Farber Redcap and the Nags Head. When I first encountered Sharon, She was sat with a row of friends, one of which was her sister, Glynis. And she had a boyfriend sat beside her. I saw her and she she waved out. So I waved back and I went over and I chatted to her. So I said to her, do you fancy coming across the road for a drink with me because I'm getting a bit bored in here. And then her boyfriend pipes up with uh, i don't think i like the idea so i said look mate it's up to her you might be her boyfriend but she's still got her own mind if she wants to come for a drink with me she will <laughs> so anyway he sat down and shut up yeah he sat down and shut up basically our, our initial relationship was platonic and then slowly gradually down through the years I moved off and did other things still involved with the Bowie scene and then I took a job down on Lordship Lane little did I know that that's where Sharon lived with her mum and dad and how we actually got initiated was her mum came in to me and she said oh my daughter knows you she said really she said, You know Sharon, you used to chat to her down in the Barber Red Cap with her sister Glennis and what. Oh yeah, I remember her. She said she'd like to meet you again. And at this point now, she's twenty-three. So some years have gone by. She's now twenty three. So that made me thirty three, yeah, that's right. We're in the pub, we have a drink. And the more I'm talking to her and looking at her the more I'm falling for her. And I'll tell you what from that point onwards we could not keep away from one another. I fell for her head over heels. She obviously felt the same about me. But she always did say to me, I never want to get married, and I never want to have any children. So I said, that's fine by me. I mean, I suppose you could say, from a man's point of view, what better deal could you get, you know? Unfortunately, I know this just sounds terrible to say it now, but I'd leave Maureen at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. I wouldn't see her till... 11 o'clock Friday night, you know. Terrible, I know. But I did what I did. Although I still looked after the family, you know. I didn't um, desert her as such. I came back and I did what I had to do. But my heart and soul was with uh, Sharon. This relationship lasted 12 years She was totally in awe of me, and I was totally in awe of her. So, I mean, between the two of us, nobody else got a look in. And we went everywhere together. All different places. uh, We met various rock bands. We met um, anything and everything to do with the music scene. Darren loved Bowie, you know, I mean, she lived, ate and drank and whatever. Bowie was like a stay in life, as he was with me. I mean, everything I ever did at that point was based around, would Bowie do this? Would Bowie do this? Had we have been together and, and we'd gone to a Bowie gig and Bowie had walked up to her and said, Sharon, I want you to come and spend the night. I would not have argued about it, you know, because I would know I'd be on a loser. You know? <laughs> Sharon loved Bowie to the point that that uh, there were no lengths that she wouldn't go to to uh, find out what, what was going on. She would find stuff that I'd I'd heard about but never seen. Yeah, our whole life was basically. If it were not for Bowie, we we would never have met basically that's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day yeah had it not been for David Bowie Nova wouldn't exist can't beat the pill you know but obviously what she did she felt and i know exactly what she felt she felt that if she had a child for me then i would leave maureen completely for her which i was given that choice and i had to weigh up the situation because at that point i had four children with maureen Now, I was there for the birth of Nova, and I had to go home that night and crack on that nothing out of the ordinary was taking place. Very difficult to do, because when Nova was born, she was she had to go into baby intensive care, because it was touch and go with her. So we had weeks and weeks. So every night I'd go... Uh, Sharon stayed in the hospital virtually full-time. And I'd go straight there from work every night, spend through to about half 11, 12 midnight there and then go home of course I've got to go home making out that there's nothing going on everything's quite normal I'm worried out of my head about the baby but anyway Nova being Nova she pulled through and I was with Sharon up until Nova was 6 or 7 we drifted apart slowly slowly because obviously I I was still committed to mooring in as much as I did feel responsible, I mean, i got four children, remember? And then, of course, Maureen, uh, I mean, you might think I'm a scoundrel, but actually Maureen fell pregnant, so we had the fifth. But that was only because, uh, I don't know, again, she might have thought that maybe that would reseal our relationship, but unfortunately it didn't. I could never abandon mooring completely and utterly it just it, w- it wouldn't be possible for me to do that so of course obviously what Sharon wanted from me was to to be devoted solely and completely to her which I understand because she was to me devoted completely and solely and I was unable to fulfill my part of the bargain we did actually live together for a while which i thought initially was great but as we went through down through the months it became increasingly harder for me to i would wake up at one two in the morning thinking about i mean i have to say maureen and wondering what's going on back at my other home with the children and whatnot and uh, then i would go back for a couple of nights but then I'd wake up at one or two in the morning and then wonder what's happening with Sharon. So it it was a terrible life to be leading, really. I mean, one that I brought completely on myself, I understand that, you know. Uh, You know what they say, there's no fool like an old fool, you know. In as much as I thought I was clever and smart, I managed to box myself into a corner that even I couldn't get out of. Almost to the point where I kind of, not that I would ever commit suicide, but I almost had a mental breakdown over it. One day I just decided I've got to go, so I just pulled out and I went back home to Mooring because I thought. So I then uh, I rang Sharon. I said, "Look, Sharon, I've I've left the flat. I can't I can't continue doing this because it's just too much." So anyway, I I, I thought, I've got to get out of Lordship Lane as well. So I got the guy I was working for to make me redundant. So when I I got my money off him, the redundancy pay, I went to her in in her flat. And I said, look, I've got this redundancy pay. There's half of it. I said, but we're going to have to stop seeing one another for a while. So I gave her... I left her a, a reasonable amount of money, you know, like for her and Nova. And I said, so... You know, what I'm, say- what I'm saying to you, Sharon, is this. I'm not looking to get rid of you completely, but I can't. I cannot keep doing what I'm doing. So she agreed. She said it was getting to be much, a bit much for her. So sort of eventually, I would just phone her occasionally, and then one day I thought I'd go and see her down at her mum's when I was told to. And of course I see her coming out with her new boyfriend. So I thought, best not to go up and approach her. But it did hurt. I've got to say. I won't say it didn't. It did, and it, uh, you know, took a while to adjust to the fact that she's got somebody new in her life. You know. But uh, they would come and go. You know, they'd be there for three or four months, and then she'd get fed up of them, obviously, because they weren't doing for what what happened between her and I. And as I say. We kind of drifted apart and, and then recently uh, when I moved here I decided to get in touch with her from when Bowie died early like in January. And the idea was now that I've got my own proper independent place we can rekindle what we had now because now I'm no longer involved with Maureen in any way. Only other than um, I have a responsibility towards not my children because they're all adults now but my grandchildren. I still feel like I've got a certain responsibility towards them. I didn't just turn up on her doorstep and say, Hi, I'm back. I sent her a, uh, a card, greetings from Brixton, with a, a pit bull on it, with the lad saying Flash on its face. And I, put, I wrote a lengthy letter to her on the back, and I have put it to her that, It's entirely up to her, but I would like for us to possibly uh, restart our relationship and it doesn't even have to be on the same level as it was when we first initially got romantically involved, you know. It doesn't have to be along those lines either. Just so long as we could restart a relationship of any sort that I was now completely and utterly free. She would never have to worry about Maureen Because it's completely understood now that our relationship was over. And I gave her my mobile number on this card and I said, Look, this is entirely up to you. You can phone me if you wish. And even if it's just to say, No, I don't want to know, I'll be happy with that. So, anyway, a couple of nights went by and she did phone me once or twice. She was excited she seemed happy so anyway it was only a couple two three days later that Nova rang me on an afternoon much like this actually I was sat at the table there and my phone rang and it was Nova I said oh Nova how lovely and then she said it's not good news mum died at two in the morning Tell you what I screamed out, I couldn't believe it. And I cried and I cried Noble was crying. I could not believe it. Two o'clock in the morning she passed away. Couldn't believe it. It was horrible. I just could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. So, of course, then the funeral has to be arranged, but obviously I wasn't involved in that. Uh, it's her sister and her brother she's got a brother Nigel who I knew and uh, they arranged the funeral but I arranged it with them, I said obviously it's got. To, this has got to be with your permission and Nova's, I said but I want to carry Sharon in to the crematorium, oh that was terrible that day as well, terrible but I managed to keep myself together I didn't want to break down in front of Nova, not physically letting her see, it's different on the phone totally different when you see it in reality you know but yeah so uh, I thought how cruel is life but I never did feel sorry for myself I just blamed myself for my own stupidity and my own crassness and I've got to say to, to a certain extent my own selfishness at uh, thinking that I was being smart and clever with what I was doing when at the end of it all I hurt three people a number of children and uh, yeah so as I say I end up at the end of it all with nothing and regretting everything I was a bit like a boy that was going through the orchard looking for the best apple and I got to the other end with nothing. I ended up losing both of them. What a fool was I, eh? What a fool was I? Yeah.
1: Hi, Clive. Who is it? Guess who? <laughs> um, I'm trying
2: to guess, but... Uh, my two o'clock appointment. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, oh,
1: it's... My two o'clock appointment today, yeah, it's
2: tomorrow, though,
1: isn't it? It is, yes, it's Eva, for tomorrow. Yeah, good, how are you? Oh,
2: bearing up, bearing up, you
1: know. Yeah, what are you up to? Uh, I
2: was just having a nap.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I woke you then, didn't I?
2: No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I had a, I had a pre, precursor warning. I thought I heard someone knocking on my door, but uh, I don't know if I told you the other day when you were, when you rang. But I've had a number of experiences here in this room, in the early hours of the morning.
1: No, what happened?
2: Um, but I'm in the habit of talking to Sharon, you know, and uh, I keep inviting her here, you know, in spirit. You know, I was half awake and half asleep that morning, uh, six o'clock. I heard this on my door, right? Right? And I thought, who on earth is knocking on my door at six in the morning? So I thought, I ain't opening it. So anyway, you know the little gap between the floor and the outside? I had a quick peek, but anyway, there was no one there. Where I live, we've got um, 24-hour surveillance, you know? Mm. so anyway I went down at nine so I told the guy he said right he said, I'll scroll back and do you know what because I made a note at the time at the precise time that this happened there was no one outside my door no I, he kept saying oh you must have been asleep you must have been dreaming so I said no I wasn't asleep but anyway in the next early hours of the morning I made a point of being awake fully awake you know what I mean this happens at four thirty-three, right? And I get this, and I, I was beginning to think because I've been waiting for the last three nights for it to happen again because I thought to myself, hold on, I've been inviting Sharon to come come here and visit me. Maybe I've been she's been knocking on my door to gain entry, and I've been ignoring her. But my intention was this, you see, that the next time it happens, I'll respond in kind and see what happens, isn't it?
1: But on the door, on the door. Oh. Yeah,
2: and mm-hmm. I've already done a pre-response with her in my head that if it is her, what she's to do to confirm that it's her, so I sort of put it to her that I want her to then redo the very first one. You
1: see? Yeah, and what would you do if yeah. if it was the same knock back? Would you open the door afterwards?
2: You know what I would. I would just, uh, I mean, I've got Sharon's crucifix inside the door. I've got another rosary around my neck. (laughs) So I'm well protected spiritually. You know, like you see these movies. I mean, I watched one just a few weeks ago. The guy, loses his wife gets murdered. And at the end of the movie, he he ends up dying. Or just prior to him dying, she appears to him like a nice glowing figure. The wife turns up. I thought what 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 would I do if I was to open the door and Sharon was stood there in a in a ephemeral form, you know? I thought what what would I actually do? I think i know what I'd do. I'd just grab her. I'd grab for her, you know. i what I have to, her, you know what I
1: mean?
2: Yeah. I mean I'm not put out by it, so don't don't misunderstand me. I'm I'm not um, worried by it or um, frightened or nervous or anything like that. I was just curious more than anything else, you know. I've got my, my photos of her up on the wall and whatnot, and I burned my sandalwood in here. You know, when we were together, we used to, we used to burn incense and whatnot, you know. So uh, that's that. So what have you been up to then since we last spoke?
1: I've been chatting to Tori, who um, I'm going to come with tomorrow, and we were thinking we could right. meet you at the mural, and you could come with your guitar and whatever, and bits and pieces, and... Then we want to come to your house and see all the amazing knickknacks you have.
2: (laughs) Yeah, all right. You want to? So what?
1: What time do you want to meet me there? Meet you at two at the mural. Two o'clock at the mural. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I've already been down there once with it with with, uh, you know someone else and did a few photos and whatnot, didn't I? So yeah, I'll just sling it over my back, the guitar. It looks better that way anyway. You look like a rock a rock star like that, doesn't it?
1: And you definitely will anyway, won't you?
2: <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs>
1: OK, listen, Clive, I'll see you tomorrow then, yeah? Uh,
2: yeah, I'll be there sharp two o'clock.
1: Dress warm, uh, yeah? It's then. cold outside. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. don't worry, don't worry. I'll, I won't be dressed in my summer wear, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. OK, I'll see you tomorrow. I look forward to that, Eva. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
3: What's happened? Come in,
1: Blake.
3: Come in, How did you know where I was?
1: I went down because you gave me the address last time, and then what's wrong? Tell me what's up. You're not feeling well.
3: I had a sit down anyway <clears throat> I'm sorry, darling. I kind of let you down, didn't I? But
1: well, I wanted to check that you were all right because you seem like a man of
3: your word. I'm I a man of my word, but. Um, the man of my word was told not to go.
1: Why? I don't know. By who? (coughs) Oh. By, uh, wait, Nova? Or by Sharon?
3: I I got the impression that Sharon didn't want me to do it. The photo? No, not the photo. How can you think it's a
1: photo? Well, I don't know what you mean. I'm confused. Sharon! What gave you that idea?
3: What she's saying to me is... She's saying like I'm getting too out of it. Too kind of... um thing Look, can I show you? Yeah. Stand up and look. I want to introduce you.
1: Alright, in- introduce me.
3: This... is Sharon. And... Sharon? Eva.
1: Hello, Sharon.
3: I put our picture on together. I think this was taken round about the time when we went to um, the Bowie Convention, you know, and uh, it was quite something, you know. She was gorgeous that day. She was absolutely gorgeous, you know. I mean, as you can see, I had my hand on the table, but where was my other hand? On her bum. On her bum while she was cutting the cake. Oh, and this is Nova, when she was born. Oh. right, and that's me. And Nova's looking at me and thinking, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Oh, by the way, look, this is the last cigarette pack that my baby ever bought. Oh. And there were even four cigarettes left inside it that sadly I have smoked. But (laughs) But Sharon said to me, it's okay, I don't need them anymore, you know. But look, I put our picture on together. Oh, by the way, you know I told you last night about Sharon's crucifix.
1: Yeah. This
3: is Sharon's crucifix. This was Sharon's. And it was on on her door.
1: Mm.
3: So I felt... Where else could it go but on my door, you know? When Nova took me to Mum's flat, she said, Dad, take whatever you want. You know, the only thing I wanted was that. You know, like most people would go around saying, oh yeah, I'll have the TV, I'll have this, I'll have that. No, not me, I wanted this, this. Because in this, I know is Sharon's spirit, you know? So, that's why that's there.
1: You got a lot of nice things in here.
3: Oh, I'll tell you what, does it not smell nice in here? Smells lovely. Doesn't it just? Because that's the way I want it for when Sharon comes here to see me. I don't want her coming into a room that smells like a
1: man's armpit. You
3: know?
1: <laughs> does it smell like that for sure?
3: <laughs> you know, when I was talking to you, I was sat on that bed there, chatting away, and I'm seeing all these things that have influenced my life. The photo of Bowie there is because he's overlooking all of the aspects of my life and Sharon's life that he had a huge, huge influence on. Sharon had the greatest of love and respect for him, as I did, and it united us together, and we managed to produce Nova. I'll tell you what, that guy doesn't realise how many children he sired by guys like me that were listening to his music with girls like her that were making love while his music was playing. <laughs> you know, he didn't realise that he was—he sort of created a whole generation through his music. You know, through like girls like her and guys like me. Yeah, she. Oh, it's the light of my life, the love of my life. She'd still be alive now if it weren't, but for the fact that we had such a horrendous breakup. And what she did, and I haven't told you this, and I'm going to tell you now what happened. The day we were living together, and the day we parted company, she came home and she found all my clothes gone. And she did the only thing she could do, she turned to, to a drink and she bought herself a bottle of whiskey and she nearly killed herself drinking this bottle of whiskey. And she was rushed off to hospital I knew it was my fault. I couldn't get to the hospital quick enough. I said to her, I said to her why, why did you do it, Sharon? She said, look, I couldn't handle it that you'd gone. The way I saw it was, if I couldn't have you, there was not much point. I said, look, you still got me. So I said, I want you to get better. She did get better. She did get better. But of course, it, doing that, she had to have a pancreas got affected and they had to operate on her and take away part of her pancreas and she was never the same again after that. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is why I blame myself. That girl should be alive now, if it weren't but for what I did. She was so gorgeous, so lovely, so caring, so thoughtful. And, I don't know, I mean... I understand what you're saying, but I do beat myself up over it. I do beat myself up. I feel guilty, and every time I look at this picture here, Eva, this one where she's in that wonderful white dress, she was so happy that day. It seemed like time would never end on that day. And what what you'll notice is, um, Eva, the clock in the background. And I looked at I've looked at that clock often, and I've thought. Why could not that time stay like that so that we could be forever together? Oh, but, oh, but, you know, it's um, such is life, isn't it? Can we cut this down for a moment, please? Of course. Eva? This has been and it kicked off with David Bowie's death and all the way down through to now it's just been death after death of icons and heroes of mine coming back to David Bowie uh, being the fan that I was I felt a great loss I felt uh, I missed him and I wanted to show the world that I cared for him And I was a fan, and this and that. So I took to playing the music at at the mural. And I took to wearing the black armband with the three lightning flashes on it. And I took to wearing the badges. And even Maureen said to me at one point, I thought you'd gotten over all this. So I said, no, this is only the beginning, Maureen. I believed at that point that I was mourning Bowie's death but at the same time I I did have a a slight thing in the back of my head that maybe I was going over the top with this um, in as much as I was treating David Bowie as though he was a god like a a second Jesus and it was almost as though God had said to me uh, you believe that you're grieving do you? Then I got the news about Sharon, and and the message was almost, you don't even know what grief is. Try this for grief and mourning. I was slowly, slowly getting over the the Bowie thing. It was now just becoming a, um, you know, something to do. And it was good to be able to meet lots and lots of other Bowie fans and get some notoriety and whatnot, um, now all that was taken away and replaced by true grief, true sorrow. My heart was torn apart. Now I knew what grief was. Now I knew what it was to mourn. Terrible, terrible guilt and anguish. Tears by the bucketful. Can't say I cried for Bowie. I just thought, what a great loss. But yeah, that's what I believe. Now I know what grief and sorrow is. My life almost feels as though it's been mapped out for me from birth that none of these things have happened to me by accident but they've all been designed to to make me understand what life is all about and give me knowledge. You're always going to end up at some point paying for your mistakes whether it happens straight away or whether it happens years down the line that's what's going to happen and to a certain extent that's what's happened with me. I made my choices and I've had to live with the consequences even though the consequences didn't come till much, much, much later on. So now I think twice before I act and what I do now I have much, much more consideration for people people that I love people that I respect people that I know care for me I'm not careless with them and flippant with them as I might have been in the past. Yeah, I've learnt from this situation that uh, sometimes you don't really understand what it is you've got until you lose it. That would about sum it all up, I think, Eva, really. That would about sum it all up. Notes to Sharon Rest in peace my love With a heart and an arrow through it With blood drops coming out I miss you so much Sharon I can never go And see you again I'm distraught How selfish is that I deserve this pain for letting down your good self. Why did I not see what I had in you? These are my deepest thoughts about you. Please forgive me, Sharon, for failing you. You are in my mind, heart and soul. I love you, Sharon. May you be in heaven with your mum and dad. at these times in the early hours is when I miss you most you were such a sweetheart you knew how to deal with me even in my most foul moods you were the beauty to my beast never will I meet anyone like you again come back to me sharing in my dreams I feel that it may not be long until I'm coming to join you Sharon if you will have me this pain is too much so be it I deserve it
0: this podcast is dedicated to the memory of Sharon Louise Hogan Clive runs a David Bowie tour every couple of weeks round Brixton. If you want to go on it, look up David Bowie Tour London on Facebook. Believe me, Clive knows his stuff. It's well worth going. Make sure to check out the photos we have of Clive with his guitar in his Brixton flat amongst his Bowie memorabilia. We'll be posting these on Twitter and Instagram both of which you can follow us on via the handle at Everyone Studio. If you're enjoying the series so far, please take the time to rate or review us on iTunes.